On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Justin Chupp, a comedian from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Justin's been doing stand-up for about six years. He's a former radio DJ, and he found a home on stage. Now he's one of the guys behind the Grand Rapids Comedy Club, which is bringing in big names and helping to promote the local talent. He's doing some great things for the Grand Rapids scene. This is a really fun talk. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you like what you hear, sign up for the Patreon. It's just five bucks a month. You can follow Homebrewed Comedy on Facebook or go to homebrewedcomedy.com to see all of my show dates. Thanks again. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Wings off Peeling back my sunburnt skin I'll wait outside your bedroom I, I hope they let me in How's today going for you? Good. I didn't end up going to get the sandwich. I looked outside my window and I saw there was snow on my car and I, I settled for hunger. So <laughs> <laughs> so that's all it takes. A little bit yep. of work. And you're yep. like, nah, I'll start. Yeah. I'll be hungry, dude. <laughs> I, no, I, I got your message and like, hey, uh, you know, I want to go grab a sandwich. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to get something too. And I settled on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which is a great sandwich for me. But I'm like, mm. oh, I'm going to bring something inferior to the table. And now I just <laughs> feel superior. No, for sure, dude. <laughs> but uh, I should say the sandwich I was going to get entirely superior to a pb and j i just you know couldn't get couldn't make it down there so what were you gonna get uh it's called a poseidon there's a sandwich shop over here called two beards in grand rapids and um they make like i like 200 different sandwiches it's just like it's like uh it's like a tuna melt almost but with just a bunch of extra stuff in it that's great yeah is that one of those restaurants that like names sandwiches after their like regular customers no, it's actually mostly named after famous people. Okay. So, and then Poseidon just happens. There's like a, it's like the fish menu happens to be like, you know, different. Right. Names. Like all nautical. Yeah. Nautical stuff. And I, it's always been like a dream of mine to be a regular at a place like, and just have the goodwill for them to name something after me. <laughs> yeah. Like, that'd be cool. Like I guarantee like somebody will name like a bathroom after me, you know, I'll just, yeah. I'll pine for it. And like, you know what? Well, We'll shut you up with a bathroom. Oh, you got yeah. a cat? Yeah. She has not given a shit about me until right now, dude. <laughs> this so is it, what she does. Typical cat. Yeah. I, uh, I've i got three here. And I came into this office a couple hours ago. And I was like, oh, no. Because uh, they were all looking for something. And I'm like, oh, no. There's a mouse here. I know it. I've got to sit down and record and probably have a mouse come out. And uh, you know, I'll show Justin what a wuss I am. <laughs> no dude i would be terrified one time i uh i was like digging through i was moving and i had some stuff outside in the shed this was just a couple years ago and uh dude <laughs> hey listen i'll look at a cat's ass anytime dude. i'm fine with it <laughs> um <laughs> so i took it out to or i went out to grab some stuff because i was moving i went out to the shed and i found this old box of clothes and i dug to the bottom and it was just like a ton of like little tiny mice and like a mom mouse. Oh no. And it was like, it was, it was disgusting and adorable at the same time. Like I freaked out. I just didn't know what to do. I'm like, Oh, these are cute and gross. Ah! And I like run from them. But uh, mice are terrifying, dude. Yeah. I was sitting at this desk. We did like a, a zoom open mic and I don't know, a year ago. And 
like we wrapped up with the mic and we're just like like four or five of us just kind of bullshitting and i want to say like a spider with um the body was the size of a quarter and mm-hmm. like it was just black and it came running out of my desk and four people watched me like jump onto the chair just i'm like what do i do what do i do and i'm throwing a pringles can at it i got <laughs> a, a water bottle around here and they're like yeah. just step on it you pussy and i was like no i don't want to touch it and i got like I think I got like roach raid and I sprayed it from like as far back as possible and I killed it and it like shriveled up. And I was just like, the saddest part I think is that after I kill a spider, I still don't want to touch it because I'm I'm convinced it's coming back to life. Yeah. I don't know what that is, man. Like I've always thought maybe it's just because they got that predator thing in them. You know what I mean? And like, we're not really like predators, not the way they are. You know, we don't like jump on things and just like eat them. Yeah. So I, I think it's kind of just some old school stuff in our brain where we're like, that thing will eat me alive. And we just, it's irrational, but I think that's what it is. Well, I think I go back to like arachnophobia. Like it was, yeah. it came out in like 90, 91. And ever since then, like I, I really think when I was a kid, I liked spiders and snakes and bugs. Now I'm like, I don't want anything to do with any of those. Yeah, that makes sense because my sister would be like clowns, you know, you know, the old clown thing. Yeah. Where like it came out and freaked a bunch of kids out. So the first movie I ever saw I, that I remember, at least, was uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's like a B movie. No, I think I have, I've seen like part of it, I think, actually. Yeah, it's awful. But yeah, uh, I think my parents had HBO and they were like, you know, that family on the block who had HBO. So yeah. my mom recorded everything. And I think that was the first one I remember seeing. And it was, I just remember like clowns putting like straws into these cotton candy cocoons with people in it and drinking their blood. And I'm like, I'm five. Like, <laughs> I should watch this. Yeah, that's, that's pretty terrifying. Everything's confusing when you're five too. So like you could really say any messed up thing and mess with a kid's head. Yeah. Just, I don't know. You know. So what, what's the comedy scene like out in Grand Rapids? So the GR comedy scene, I mean, we have like a mid-sized city. It's been a little bit difficult in years past to catch any steam or anything like that. Um, We had a club here who frankly wasn't that supportive, honestly. So like the scene was very underground for a long time. Over the last couple of years, I would say over the last year, like it really, it took foothold and we started just, I mean, we started having shows everywhere. Like we're almost to the point where I'd say, you know, Grand Rapids is essentially like it's a comedy city almost. I can't get a hold of any of my friends in the, like like in a mid-sized city. This used to be kind of a difficult thing. But if I need help at the club or anything like that from anybody, like I got a whole there's no last minute getting a hold of anybody around here anymore. Like people are usually working on the weekends and it's just it's been it's gotten really strong. There's a lot of good writers out here. And there's a lot of good storytellers. And that's because our open mics out here are a little different. West Michigan open mics run from they usually run from seven to ten minutes. Yeah. And so a lot of the people here, they spend a lot of time like honing their skills not to be, you know, like in L.A. where it's like joke, 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 joke. It's more like, you know, setups, setups, uh, stories and, and, and like more compelling, like stuff like that, that they're trying to reach for, you know. So, yeah, I run a couple of mics in Binghamton, New York, in Endicott and Appalachian, respectively. And my format has always been seven to 10 because mm-hmm. I book shows and like I kind of run my mics as like 
kind of like a training ground for yeah. to get people prepared for my shows because not everybody's going to make the show but if i need somebody i want them to be ready to do an extended yeah. set and i always felt like if you do a four or five minute mic like you said like you're constricted to doing setup joke setup joke you're basically saying okay well i want a whole lot of one-liner comedians and yeah. one-liners are fine they're great but mm -hmm. you know if you're trying to work out a story it's hard to do that over the course of like two or three mics yeah Yep. And we like here, like it's everywhere. There isn't a, I can't, I don't think there is a three minute mic around and we have, we have a mic. You can pretty much double dip in like, which is like something, another thing this city hadn't had before. We used to have to go from Grand Rapids to a shore in Grand Rapids, drive to Lansing and then try to hit Detroit. If you try to catch, if you want to hit multiple mics in a night, you know, so mid-sized city, but like it's very dense and everybody's sort of, is it's also a very supportive scene it didn't used to be like that either but everybody sort of works and helps each other and uh it's, it's just been really great out here honestly what do you think the change was like we in, in binghamton kind of went through that too where there were a lot of groups that wouldn't work with each other and a comedian mm -hmm. would kind of get blacklisted from this room for working with somebody else and i've noticed that maybe since like let's go last year you know really the last three or four months i've had a new i just have changed my opinion on the scene and i'm like wow i'm really proud of the people like the new influx of people we've gotten and the welcoming nature of the rooms and i mean what do you think was the big difference uh, i think a couple of things happened i think one was that uh we had a young like influx of of people who just kind of made their way onto the scene and they were working hard and nobody shit on them for it you know what i mean like they came in, they decided they were going to try to drive out to New York and do this and do that. And they were getting on like uh, good showcases and stuff out there, flying out to Texas, spending their money, doing things that, you know, uh, I feel like a lot of people would just kind of hate. You know what I mean? Like they'd catch hate for it in the past. And the scene was just kind of like, look at these guys go. And I think uh, sometimes just a little plant of like good morale can work its way around the scene a lot. Um, we've also... Full House Comedy came into town and competed with the club that was here and started making a, a real point of finding out who the talented people were in Grand Rapids and then booking them for like showcases, feature sets, stuff like that. Like, you know, before the scene was built in a way where the club was almost exclusively just pulling in features from like New York, Chicago, L.A., not really getting to know who was out here, not finding out if there was talent. And also, like, blacklisting comics in a way, like, or, or not blacklisting them, but um, I'd say, like, giving them, like, really unfair ultimatums, like, uh, hey, if you perform at a showcase in town at all, like, you're not allowed to perform at our club anymore. And these are local comics, you know what I mean? Yeah. So just a lot of weird, shifty things. Uh, I think a couple of people in the scene are less involved now. And so, like, when the focus got put on, you know, let's just build each other up, because it really was, like, it was a it was an effort amongst all Grand Rapids comedians for the most part. Like we're actually going to build a scene. So we have somewhere that we can be even elevated from, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, it started to work. Like we've, we had people come in uh, and ask people, you know, Hey, will you come to LA and do a, like a, a rehearsal here or do this or do that? Things started to catch on. And I think the proof of concept really is what like started to dial it in and make people believe in it and like really just get the the ball rolling even harder you know i will so. never understand why any club any booker will hold somebody working another stage 
against them. Because like yeah. my theory is that if I book you for a show in May and you take a gig in March and April, you're only going to be those two sets better for my show in May. Like, yeah, I don't get that. It, it, it makes no sense to me. I don't get it either. And I also, I extra don't get it when it's like a local comic because the people who are coming out to showcases, the people who are coming out to contests, the people who are coming out to smaller shows generally, they are often just patrons of the bar at that place or, you know, friends and family of comics or like extended people. They, they, they bring out, they promote their own thing, whatever, blah, 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 blah. The club is, it's a club, dude. People go to comedy clubs for, for club stuff they show up at the comedy club to see comedy every few weeks they're comedy fans they haven't even been to these like showcase stuff things around town probably it's really just you're giving an opportunity to a local comic who wouldn't otherwise get it and they're not doing anything against you they're like you know how are you gonna how are you who are a club gonna be upset about someone performing at the fucking bait shop right you know what i mean like just let them be (laughs) you know what i'm saying i do kind of want to see that show at the bait shop (laughs) <laughs> that would be fun. No, it, it. I always look at it like, like I'm a, you know, uh, I'm University of Michigan. Let's say. Oh, cool. And if you don't book locally, do you really want to miss that prospect from Lansing? I mean, you can't. You can't let him go to Ohio State. He's in your yeah. backyard. And when I see a, a club not book locally, it's like, what are you doing? Are you you're waiting for them to go to New York City, Chicago, L.A. when you could have them? for cheaper and you could be the first one to get them and help develop them. Like it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And those comics, honestly, like people don't forget, you know what I mean? People come back and throw a bone to a club. If I was, if I was headlining across the country at some point, the club here now, I would certainly, that that would be one where I'd be like, I'll cut these guys a deal. You know what I mean? Just because they helped me out. They helped me grow here in Grand Rapids. I think that it just goes underrated. People I think get, like impatient and don't want to show the grace and they don't realize that you know uh you can take risks on features and middle people like people are showing up to see a headliner right you know what i mean if this person doesn't work out then you know tell them come back in a couple years but you can take risks on on newer people and you can you know mc people and engage their talent and give them an opportunity to feature in your own home hometown like that's fine people aren't going to be mad as long as they're funny you know what i mean yeah, I just hosted at a Funny Bone in Syracuse. Nobody was there to see me. Like, nobody buys the ticket to see the host, usually. And, yeah. you know, so they're there to see Greg Fitzsimmons. So yep. one of the one of the first things I did on the Saturday show was, uh, you know, here's a guy who most of you probably know, Greg Fitzsimmons. And I said, well, who knows me? And, like, a couple people said, yeah, they cheered. And I said, you're liars. Like, <laughs> yeah. like nobody is buying a ticket to see the host. Maybe his yeah. family, but like, no. Yeah. So like, yeah, if you want to give a guest spot, you want to do a 10 minute feature, wh- whatever, or a spot. Plus you build the support from within the comedy scene if you book yep. locally. And I think a lot of people, and I don't run a club, but I think a lot of people are short-sighted in that where it's like, yeah. okay, well, how do we get goodwill? And maybe you don't have an open mic there, maybe whatever. But like, I don't know, there's ways to reach out. Yeah. And honestly, for a mid-sized city and frankly this is why with grand rapids comedy club like i've been i've been so pushy on this kind of very subject is like the midwest is just a little bit of a different animal dude we don't have access to much you know what i mean and um we have access to chicago which is good it's not it's definitely not the same as like new york or la and 
they're a little bit smaller and a little bit tribal as like one would expect anyone else to be. Yeah. But then when it comes to like a Midwest city or midsize, like it's like, well, we're not allowed to do that. We're not allowed to, to have any tribalism. We just have to accept that these bigger booking agencies are sending these people our way. That's how it was before. That's not how it is now. But this city was actually kind of conditioned to believe that's how comedy just was. That's like, we, you know, we didn't know Madison across the lake was, was much different than us in, in doing things that were, they were much more supportive of their, of their local scene. And in a mid-sized city like this, yeah, man. I mean, I think that it's not a big city. Like word gets out. If comics, if you're shitting on comics, like the word's going to get out about you eventually, you know? Now it was the club, your brainchild. Uh, it was, so it was, uh, it started with, we were doing this thing called full house comedy and I was just the house MC for a while. We were out to Muskegon, you know, a couple shows in a couple other places, but I was living in Grand Rapids at the time and establishing myself just through the open mic scene uh, as a Grand Rapids comic and then working out on the West side of the state. And then um, it just came to be that like through my open mic, like connections and stuff like that, I'd found other rooms in town and started like plugging away and pointing the promoter like, Hey, hit up this room, hit up this room. Just cause I knew, he was already booking local comics. Like he was already trying to do this kind of thing where I'm like, well, whatever we're doing here, like it's going to be better than what Grins was doing at the time. You know what I mean? For yeah. locals and stuff like that. And then we never really, like we started to get better rooms and theaters, which like, you know, we still have hold of now. And then when the end of the year came and we heard about Grins, it was just like, okay, like we were already working on this club room before that I had kind of found in brought the promoter in there and i'm like hey this is like a club dude like this is a beautiful room it's it's a perfect club setting um we found a spot for it if grins is gonna step out here for a second like let's take this let you know let's step on the gas here we have access to all the comedians that they do we can do the same thing this is a small town like let's do this for the scene and, and get get the ball rolling here and then you know again I'm i'm always just trying to elevate the scene the best i can so otherwise like there's just you're, you have ceilings here. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when did you have your first show there? Uh, before it was actually open as a club, we had Chris Porter December 17th. I want to say it was that weekend. And then January 14th, we had grand opening weekend as the club, which was uh, Eric Griffin. He sold out all four shows. And then like, uh, who is next? I'm trying to remember. Oh, Brett Ernst came through from New York. James Mattern came through recently. We have Mike Cannon coming in a couple yep. weeks, and then we're like working on some bigger stuff actually too. So, is any of this surprising to you? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like COVID. My thing, like over the last year, like it was surprising to me, but like the mindset that I had was, you know, we can all be like bummed out about things that are happening from COVID because we, as we should be, honestly, there's right. there's a lot of terrible things that have happened. You know, I've lost people that I've known. I've seen businesses go out of business, you know what I mean? Um, but also like, this is a, a malleable like time in our lives. And if, if it's not going to come back, you know what I mean? Like five years from now, whatever the new system is in place, that's, what's going to be there for whatever city you're in. And, and I just kind of really felt like, you know, let's make moves right now because we're not going to have these opportunities again. And so like, is it surprising? Like in retrospect? Yeah. I just don't spend much time thinking or feeling it. You know what I mean? I'm just yeah. like, let's go, let's move, let's get this. And then once I can kind of sit back and look at it, 
maybe I'll like feel a lot more like, holy shit, like how did we pull that <laughs> off? You know what I mean? But right now I'm just like, I'm kind of just in go mode. I think that's a perfect mindset because like, like I know for me, when we opened up in New York back in April, you know, people were hesitant to come out. And I'm like, I get that. The comedians, I should say, the audiences yeah. were packing. Like they needed something to do and they were out of their houses. And, you know, you could, you could go out in New York at the time, although we've gone backward, you could go out without a mask and everything. Yeah. So they're happy to be there. And I was like, oh my God, like it was hard for me before to sell out a room. And now I'm like, mm. I'm not selling them out every week, but I'm getting, I would say 50% more audiences at every show than I was before. Yeah. And I'll take that. And I just said, okay, well, I want, I had, I was booking 14 rooms across New York and now I'm up to 24 because I just, thanks, but I don't want to stop. Like I'm in Mm. that go mode too, because, Hey, it's working right now. If I take my foot off the gas, maybe I'll lose all the momentum I had and won't be able to get that back. So I think if if everything's going really well with the club, why not keep going? You know, I mean, I wouldn't even question it. Yeah. And that's kind of where we're at. And the cool thing is, is like, we have more rooms where we've essentially um, kind of like just really put our dug our feet in here. You know what I mean? And Grand Rapids and made it our thing. So and the comics, it's a comic support thing. You know, it's it's like it's kind of like the store. It's like, yeah. do you want money? Come out and help us with the door. Come out. And that's the the relationship that we've started building with most of these venues is like, just give us a space. We'll take care of everything else. You know what I mean? Give us the space. Give us the booze and all of the other stuff like we got it man we'll door people we'll see people you don't have to learn a whole lot about what goes into a comedy room or anything like that you know we'll be willing and happy to sit down and have meetings with you guys and help you out if you need to but i mean it's created sort of this like all hands on deck mentality from comics and stuff like that too so i mean yeah that's fantastic i mean that must make a lot easier i know yeah I know what I like to do with venues It my goal always is to get a monthly show because I book locally for the most part. And if I can get a monthly show, like, okay, well, I want the last Friday of the month. And mm. if they give me that and hit accept on a co-host invitation, I will do everything else. You know, like you, you know, I need your help on a little bit on Facebook, but I'll take care of the, I've got all the equipment in my car and I'll yeah. set everything up. I got a banner, I got a microphone and we'll get the people there. I just need the go ahead to, you know, give me access to your calendar and we'll be yep. fine. Those are the best people to work with because it seems like these people trust you. And it's like, okay, yeah. well, especially if you've got a good support system. I mean, yeah. was that support system? I mean, when did you see the change there? Um, honestly, when we started giving opportunities to local comics, it's I mean, that it, easy. It, it was that, it was that simple And accepting that across the board. When you look at, when you look at people that show up and they, they tell jokes, And they make a crowd laugh. Just accepting that, like, it's better to just open gates and let people decide who's funny and who's not than to try to be some sort of, like, gatekeeper yourself. You know what I mean? Um, And that's not to say that we we just let anybody do comedy at our shows, because that's definitely not the case. Yeah, I was going to ask you if I could perform. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody who has featured so far, like, nobody's let us down. Yeah. But it's just been, like, there's just been so much more talent to offer. And that's where the morale was, dude. I've, I've, I've seen comics who were like really good before COVID. <laughs> no, man, <laughs> dude, that's the mouthy, best. Sound, that's the best sound clip I've got on this podcast. So you're good. <laughs> she's mouthy, dude. She don't, she talks shit. <laughs> but no, I mean, we had one dude in the scene, for example, who 
was just like one of the best comics in the scene. And we were watching him for months there towards the end. Uh, he would get off and he'd be like, we would just be like, man, he just doesn't give a shit. You know what I mean? Like he just doesn't care for like, he's, he's funny and he, he just doesn't care anymore. And um, after a while, it just like COVID hit, things started climbing. He started to like care again once he was getting on stage, just for the simple reason that, you know, I think that there were actually opportunities out here and it wasn't like I'm funny and I can't have an opportunity. What am I doing here? It's like, I'm funny. What have I been doing? Like I have opportunities here. I might as well chase them, you know? So just honestly, just having rooms that pay people to do comedy, put a lot of people in seats. So this, the city gets to know, and we're not done either. We're doing things like, uh, one of my next orders of business this year is to basically get QR codes, Instagram QR codes from all the comics who are going to perform on, on shows, all the local comics who we think are worthy of private gigs and, you know, putting those like drink menu, like the flip things out on all the tables so that, you know, the front three comics are the comics that perform that day. You can follow them on Instagram when you get off, if you want, just by clicking the QR code. And you can flip through and see the comics in town who you might want to book at a wedding or, a, a, you know, that kind of thing. We're just always looking for ways to do that kind of stuff. And it's little things that don't take a whole lot of energy that like any club and any scene can do for each other. I mean, an Instagram QR code ain't much, but plenty of people get off stage asking, you know, how can I follow you on Instagram? Well, it's like right there. You yep. know what I mean? And yep. some people wouldn't ask that question that might even want to. It's just low energy stuff right there that makes makes the scene know that there are places supporting them. Well, yeah. and it, I'm sure for that comedian, it feels like, oh, I made it. Like yeah. I'm, I've got a little bit of that celebrity life. Yeah. Like my photo and my follow information is right on the table. Come on. Yeah. You don't get that at every town. Yeah. And it's just, it's just simple stuff. Like it doesn't it doesn't ruin the aesthetic. It actually like makes people I feel like sit down and think, oh wow, this place cares about their local scene while they're putting on. You know what I mean? Well, it seems like a professional setting. Yeah, it is. I mean, like that that's what I always think with when you have like a free show compared to like a $10 cover. Mm-hmm. It's not a huge change, but it's a huge change in the psychology of a show. Yep. Because when you have to pay $10, you're a little more invested in the product. And mm-hmm. if you walk into a place that has QR codes of the comedian's information on the table, it's like, oh, wow, these guys must be good to you know yeah. deserve all this extra work. Yep. So what about you? When did you start doing comedy? Um, I'm not good at this. I think it's like six years ago, five, yeah. six years ago. I really just like hit an open mic. I used to be a radio DJ here in town and like we were good, but I just, it didn't work. You know what I mean? Like talking into an empty space and just like flinging it out there. It's just too much anxiety for me, honestly. So after a while, I just like started, there was a really big, like a huge open mic, like a a weirdly huge open mic that would book like 12 comics and have like 150 to 200 people in the room every Sunday. Holy shit. For, yeah. On for a, a Sunday? Yes, dude. So what they would do is uh, it was called Sunday night funnies and it's still around, but it's just not the same thing as it used to be. Like it's nowhere near what it was, but they would basically go, Hey, if you're a comic and you don't have anywhere to work on Sunday night, well, we'll book a free room for you. And you can come here to our open mic. So it would draw, it was in a hotel and it would draw comics from all over the Midwest, like Chicago, Detroit, Kansas City, like you name it, dude. People would just drive up just because they already weren't doing anything on Sunday and they had a huge crowd to perform to. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And so for a while, 
you know, they're selling out all these rooms and these really good comics are just coming and staying in the hotel rooms and, you know, performing there. And so I got to actually kind of have like a club feeling. And I, I, I went for my first mic and I did well for three minutes and bombed for, uh, I don't know, like six minutes, which was supposed <laughs> to be two minutes because I ran the light by five minutes and I got in big trouble for that. But after that, it was just, you know, I, I dig this. Like I, I, I liked it and I just kept on doing it. It was really just a hobby though. Like I just, I really liked doing it and it was something to keep my, myself busy and have some structure in my life, which sounds weird, but it was something like that. And then it just kind of grew into something that I just don't stop doing anymore. You know? Yeah. I get what you mean. Like stand up was always something I wanted to do, but I didn't know mm-hmm. how to do it. And then once I got on stage, you couldn't pry me off of it. Like, I mean, yeah. uh, you know, much to the disdain of everybody else, you know, it's like, yeah. damn it. Uh, just, just skip one week, please. But when you get those laughs, especially from 150 people, I mean, and that's early. How can yeah. you, how can you stay away? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was great. I did have, I can't probably can't even say it on this podcast, like a moment at the end of my set where just someone like yelled at me <laughs> and, uh, it was like, leave them alone. You know, you ever have one of those? Someone said, you're like, leave them alone. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I, this, this is comedy is like, not just what I thought it was at first. You know what I mean? Right. Go into it with that like edgelord mentality, but it was fun. It's been fun to navigate. Uh, it's been fun to, and then every year is like something new. It's like for months this year, I just decided to like go up on a lot of shows and just play around and be silly. And, and, you know, once you feel comfortable in the space to do that, you start learning something new, you're working in a new space and uh, finding a new little aspect of your voice and, and this and that. And it's been, it's been really fun. Do you think you have your voice yet? Uh, I don't think it's all the way there. I think that like dry, like humor seems to be something that I'm like dialed into quite a bit. I feel like I do a lot of like building silence and, and stuff into my sets, but I still feel like there's one thing where I'm going to like, once I find it, I'll I'll be like, all right, I'm going to push through and like kind of push on the gas here and really dial it in. But like, I feel like there's definitely still, I haven't reached my like peak yet. I still have a lot to learn and a lot to experience, you know? It's funny because like when you start doing comedy and you hear someone say, well, it takes you 10 years to find your voice. Initially you're like, Oh fuck that. Like maybe it took you 10 years. And I'm the same way. I'm six years in and I'm like still learning. And I'm like, oh, like, like I was a one liner for a while and I was a yeah. storyteller for a while. Now I'm probably a mix of the two. And in two years, who the fuck knows what I'm going to be? Yeah. Like, you know, I, what I like to do is I like to bring back jokes that I've done, you know, in my first year or second year. And I'll bring them back like once a year and rewrite them and kind of like, let's see if I'm a better writer. And yeah. oh, and then I'll be like, oh, yeah, that probably needed a punchline there. That would have helped the joke, you know? And so you just don't know what kind of comedian you are ever really for me. And yeah, so I'm, I'm still chasing it too. Do you write most of your material or like, how do you like, do you sit down and write or do you kind of draw inspiration from throughout the day? Or like, how do you do that? Uh, A little bit of both. I mean, I write everything. So I'll do something during the day. Like uh, I haven't done this on stage yet (laughs) because I'm embarrassed, honestly. I pulled a muscle while sneezing a couple of days ago and mm. I'm like, you know, <laughs> I 
it was like I was cheating on my girlfriend and I was I had to come clean. Like I didn't want to yeah. tell people. I knew how, yeah. how awful I felt about it. And <laughs> yeah. but like I so I I did that and I said and I sat down to write word for word. Now when I go on stage, I might ad lib a little bit, but generally yeah. there's a little bit of a script to it. Mm-hmm. And then I'll talk it out loud before I go on stage. Like I'll rehearse in my office and mm. I'll see if it sounds right coming out of my mouth or if I can change things, you know. Like if I, if I hear it differently in, in a different way or it feels more comfortable to say, then I'll change it on the paper. Then I'll go on stage and we'll see mm-hmm. if I do anything or if I had then ad lib. And so it's a little bit of a process, but I would say for the most part, I write down what I'm going to say. I don't do a whole lot of playing around on stage, not until the joke I feel is good enough to yeah. do it. Like if I can, if I can yeah. rest on the punchline a little bit, maybe I'll, I'll take more liberties. But yeah. right, right now I, I, I'm writing it out. For the most part yeah i think that's kind of what i do for like if it's like club shows i treat showcases and i treat everything a little bit differently just because like i i see like this showcase as like you know it's loose in here i can make these guys laugh um i'm still kind of working on stuff uh, i'm trying to work this muscle or that muscle you know what i mean big crowd kind of refined thing i'm like all right let me write all my jokes out in order and then, like, I'll go through flashcards and be like, well, what one comes after this? What one comes after this? What one comes after this kind of thing? So when I say play around, I don't mean, like, ah, that's exclusively what I was doing. But I was definitely making much more of a point for a few months to just, like, get loose and, and have a lot of fun, you know? Do you think that helped you develop as a comedian? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think I don't think it's, like, it's, like, huge, like, pie in the sky stuff. I think everything's incremental. You know what I mean? But I think I've definitely learned some new things along the way just from being loose and having fun. And I've learned just new things to plug into new places. Really all it is. You know what I mean? Over time, you you if you loosen up and you have some fun, you don't take it so seriously. Sometimes you find your best like little tags and ad libs and stuff like that. You know, I know I went to an open mic and I host it. And and uh, I always find that hosting the open mic, I'm a little more uh high strong i would say just because because i i want to do so well because i'm starting the show like if it's only the comedians whatever but then like i'll be like okay well i'll try new stuff out i'm not worried about all my stuff could die in a room of comedians and whatever then like like what happened on monday was we had a shitload of people we probably had 30 people for us it's a lot you know it's, it's a lot of people but we had 30 people watching and i'm like oh fuck me so I had nothing prepared and I had a little bit of older stuff, but I'm like, we'll see what happens. And they file in and I go on stage and I said, all right, so here's the deal. (laughs) I had nothing. I've got nothing. Uh, I have some older stuff. I'm going to try to work it. I don't remember the jokes. We'll see if it works. And I had fun with them and I did really well, but that was kind of like loose. That's as loose as I've been in a long time. And I felt great about it. Then on Tuesday took the same material and I had rehearsed it and maybe a couple, I threw in another, another couple jokes bombed. And I'm like, well, I don't understand comedy at all. <laughs> yeah. That's how it works. <laughs> I, yeah. And I, and I don't think I'm ever going to fully get and understand comedy fully because it, yeah. every room is different. They could be there to see Justin, you know, and not give a shit about yeah. Mike. But I think that's part of why I like doing it so much is that I'm always, mm. it's kind of like golf. Like yeah. golf is a frustrating game until you get good at it. Then it's a frustrating game you enjoy, you know? Yeah. And that's that's what comedy is for me. Like, like I don't think I'm ever going to f- figure it out fully, but I'm going to keep looking. 
Yeah, I don't think anybody does, to be honest. I think even when you look at Netflix specials and, and stuff like that, you're seeing somebody's like very refined material. And you learn that these guys are like going back out on the road and bombing between, you know, big sold out shows and stuff like yeah. that. So I, I saw don't think anybody really figures it out. I saw Dimitri Martin in Albany a few years ago. And at the time, I think I was more of a one liner guy. And I love mm. Dimitri Martin. He's probably top three, top four comedians for me. And he was, I mean, he was working stuff out and he had a joke that I swear to you, 12 people in the audience got, and it was like 3,000, 4,000 people in there. I was one of the 12. I was really happy that I was part of the in crowd. And he just goes, he looked hurt and he goes, well, it's the risk you take as a one-liner. <laughs> and like, it just, but I see Dimitri Martin. I'm like, this guy is realistically a genius. Yeah. And he doesn't bat a thousand, you know? And I'm like, yeah. oh, oh everybody fucks up. Everybody's funny doesn't translate to everybody else. And it's, it was kind of like a sobering thought. I'm like, Oh, Oh, I, yeah. he's not perfect. I'm not, per- I mean, he's way closer to perfect than I am, but it's okay to bomb. Yeah. Bombing's so when- fun sometimes, <laughs> honestly, dude, you think it's fun? Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes I really thoroughly enjoy it, dude, because like, uh, sometimes you get caught up in the cycle of like, so we have this show that we do here every Wednesday. That's like a shit show of sorts where like a comic gets up and they just get messed with by the host a little bit, whatever, blah, blah, blah. They try out some new material, they get off. And then we do debates afterwards where we come up with just like stupid ass debate topics. You know what I mean? Like uh, it could be serious, like being in a relationship or being single or big nipples versus small nipples, whatever. It doesn't (laughs) even matter. You know what I mean? And the whole point of it is just get out of that, get out of that like cycle of like, refining and this and that and just break your brain for a little bit and sometimes bombing does that for me man like if i'm bombing i'm like all right fuck everybody in the room let's just do whatever i feel like doing because you know what i mean like what's what else are we going to get out of this right and then sometimes it's refreshing it's like well i got to have fun <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah this open mic we had uh i don't i've been replaying it in my head for like three days but i told a joke it was my first joke and it was like a joke that really, it was a, stu- here's, a here's a line. It's not meant to get a, like a, it's just setting up the next joke. It was like, I was, I was single for three years because I believe in monogamy and Taco Bell after midnight. It's a fat yeah. joke. And the first guy, like I, I said the joke and the guy right in front goes, and I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> I, was, yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, we don't need that. And I was like, <laughs> I'm convinced like that one threw me like, just got into my head and I'm like he did the drum sound and I'm on stage for 12 seconds. Like, yeah. like I just hosted at a club yeah. and now I'm getting heckled at the open mic. Like that's comedy to me. Like, yeah. like the, I mean, it's the highs and the lows. It's crazy, dude. You never really know what can happen. I, I did a theater the other night and there was an open mic across the street. So I did this theater. I met up with these people. They like, they're super cool with me. They followed me on Instagram, which is something that like I push out here because I'm like, we can't fucking get followers out in the Midwest for shit. Right. You know what I mean? So I'm like, follow me on Instagram, whatever they get. I give them, they give me some follows. And they were so nice. And then I walk across the street and there's an open mic there. And it's another like a really good open mic. It's like out of town. I don't know how Hunter does it, but he packs like 50 people in there just to watch comedy, blah, 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 blah. So we go in there and um, them same people are in there being assholes and just talking and being loud. And I kind of took hold of the microphone and was just like, 
I threw away the whole set that I was going to try with the new jokes because I was like, uh, just mad at those people. Like you guys were cool to me. Like, just be nice to these guys. Let these guys work out their shit. There's other bars across the street. If you don't want to, you know, be here for comedy, but this is the comedy spot, whatever kind of flipped out on them, kind of told them that, you know, there's no toilet paper in the bathroom and there's sand in the troughs, but it's just people's kidney stones and they should eat them. And just like shit like that. You know what I mean? And um, the guy came up to me after the show and was like, hey, fuck you. You were cool over there, but you're not cool over here. I hope you lose Instagram followers. Like he put his two middle fingers up, <laughs> pointed at my, and then at my face and said, he yelled out in a, in a bar, I hope you lose Instagram followers. And I'm just like, comedy is so fucking weird, dude. Like, <laughs> it's so bizarre. It's just so bizarre. I think one of the most infuriating things, this didn't happen with comedy, but I'm 38. I'm about to turn 39. And this happened when I was probably 29, 30. So, you know, 10 years ago. And I'm like, oh, this is this is how I know civilization is going downhill with the younger generation mm-hmm. where I was working. I was a, a newspaper editor and two of my part time staff writers were working and some douchebags. I'll, I won't tell you whose side I was on, but <laughs> but uh, some guy, he, his comeback was, well, how many Twitter followers do you have? And I'm like, oh, go fuck yourself. I was like, I wasn't even part of the conversation. And I was like, oh, yeah. shut up. That's so pathetic. Yeah, dude, I don't know. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny how people will misperceive one thing. It's like, I'm out trying to get Instagram followers to gain clout, to get into clubs and festivals or whatever. And and then they perceive that as like, it's my end all be all for the world. Right. You know, and that's what he's going to say. That guy acted like he was going to beat me up, dude. It was crazy. Well, you know, it's an easy transition, but do you remember the worst set you've ever had? The worst set I ever had was probably that last half of my first set. Um, the worst I did. Okay. So I had one, I don't, I had one that I could brief on a little better because it was more recent, but uh, I was hosting at a theater show that we have out here. Eddie Griffin was in town. So I was on this Eddie Griffin show and he did not like me at all. This guy, him and I did not get along. You're talking about uh, Griffin or somebody else? Eddie Griffin. Okay. Eddie Griffin from like Undercover Brother. Yeah, yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. Uh, him and I didn't get along at all. And so like I had to make it through the weekend and we weren't getting along from like day one. <laughs> like, and then he, while I was on stage, apparently he was like, he, I got off stage and he got mad at me and he was like, I kept telling you, get off. And like, I had my allotted 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Like I had my allotted 10 minutes to be up there. And he's like, I kept telling you to get off stage, get off, get off. And like him and his gang are laughing at it. And like we had other comics on the set that were like standing around just kind of being awkward about it. So like that was like one of the worst experiences I'd had because I'm, I'm not like a big fan of Eddie Griffin's stand up. But like as a kid, I loved Eddie Griffin. You yeah. know what I mean? And so that was like a really, a really I actually learned a lot that weekend about like people are just like they're their own personalities. You're not just going to vibe with everybody. It's just the way it is. You know what I mean? But that was that was like probably my most stressful weekend because I had to go up and do sets two more times. And uh, I just wanted out of there, dude. I wanted out. (laughs) How'd the next two go? They went okay. They weren't actually when I got off the second time, he was cool. He's like, see, that's what I'm talking about, because he's like, you need to do this. You need to do that. And I essentially ignored all of his advice because like I I didn't feel like it was coming from uh, um, I, I didn't feel like it was in good faith. Right. So I didn't really know 
how to dissect what he was saying and what he wasn't. And I just went up and did my set again the next night and it went well. And then I got off and he was like, see, that's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about, man. That's what I'm talking about. But it was just, I just had a bad set the night before. Yeah. So he's taking, he's taking credit for your better set. Dude, I can tell you (laughs) he's such a bizarre dude. Like, uh, at one point we, are you okay if I talk about this? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So such a bizarre guy, man. Somebody at the show let in a kid for some reason. Like, I don't know how it happened. Somebody at the box office, uh, let in a kid and they were sitting in the front row as a younger girl and he was really pissed off about it, which, you know, makes sense. He didn't want kids in there, but he went up there. He does a set where between shows he goes out and he goes, uh, Did you guys see that there's a kid in there or whatever, blah, blah, blah. He's super mad about it. And then all of a sudden there's like some kids like you hear some laughter, like off in the distance, like a few blocks away. And he goes, Did you hear that? He goes, that's them kids. He goes, they out there playing at the park they out there sucking dick and we're like whoa <laughs> we we're all just like whoa hey what 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 is happening here you know what i mean and um he, and then he's looking at the promoter like staring him in the eye with this is just like kind of one eye eddie griffin like you know like they out there sucking dick like licking his lips and just <laughs> and um we're like okay i don't really understand what's going on here but uh um the next thing he says is he goes, I taught them that I taught them that while they were in there. And so like, we're starting to catch the idea that what he means here is that he feels like he was telling kids things, something that they didn't want to learn, but he said oh. it was very bizarre. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get it now. But the way he said it, it was like, well, you got it. The, the setup's supposed to come before the punchline, dude. Like you really, you really threw us for a loop with that one, you know? <laughs> but, um, just all kinds of bizarre stuff like that the whole weekend. Some anti-Semitic like language backstage. I don't know. Just a bizarre dude. That's all I can say. The worst comedy experience I've ever had. But his rider was so out of control. Like it was like three hundred dollars worth of stuff like per show. And so uh, I took home so many like cherries and plums and pineapples and <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just all shit he didn't eat. He just filled up the fridge with and never touched. So you so, had an, you had an awkward weekend, but you didn't have to grocery shop for like three weeks. Didn't have to grocery shop, no, dude. I like fruit too, so <laughs> I was bringing it. I was bringing it back to open mics and sharing Eddie Griffin's plums with people, making these open micers feel like celebrities. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was good. That's fantastic. <laughs> so you mentioned you watched Eddie when you were a kid. Like, I mean, who else? Ins- I mean, I assume he was one of the inspirations. But what'd you watch growing up that kind of inspired you? to be attracted Uh, to comedy yeah i mean i think i'm pretty much in the same embarrassing boat as everybody else when it's my age when it was like dane cook was like the first one yeah and um which by the way still a funny ass dude i mean just situations you know uh (laughs) but not who i really wanted to be like as i got older it became norm Um, yeah norm was the one guy who i could just endlessly watch everything on late night for like YouTube videos, hours and hours and hours of whatever he's got to say. That's definitely my biggest inspiration in comedy. I feel like. I think the best thing that came out of Norm's death was that everybody was sharing YouTube clips and past SNL weekend update bombs and the Bob Saget, you know, there's Bob Saget too, but the Bob Saget roast. I mean, like it was like everybody loved Norm Macdonald, you know, and we all knew it, but now everybody's like, yeah, I, I, I definitely was there. And yeah. uh, he was, he was just so incredible. That was sad, man. I had, we were off to Boston, uh, October 
12th, I want to say it was. I don't I don't remember. They're just having like a Halloween festival uh, in Salem. And my fiance wanted to go out to Salem. And so I bought tickets to see Norm at uh, the Wilbur in yeah. Boston. So I bought tickets to see Norm. We we're supposed to see him like a week later. And then we were actually working on getting him out here at a theater. And so like I was super pumped. And then, you know, he passed away like a week before I went to see him. And same thing happened with Bob. We booked Bob Saget for November 12th out here. He was going to be doing our grand opening weekend. And um, before Eric, like that was one of the first options that we had had. And if we had, he would have passed away like a week before. Oh, wow. We booked him. But yeah, dude, Norm's death was, I don't know. That was just very bizarre because like looking at back at his material, like you could actually learn. I felt that he was writing. He was writing a lot of his jokes about himself. Yeah, but nobody had any clue. You know what I mean? Did you read his book? Yes, I learned nothing about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but it was all written in like this third person. Yeah, and it was like what? It, it, so like I, I'm reading, and I'm like, I'm like, I wonder how much of this stuff is actually about him. Yeah, and I maybe just the gambling, but I I don't maybe, know. Yeah. You wonder because at first you're like, you know, he hits you at first with like the. Uh, you're like, whoa, he's putting his cigarettes in morphine, Norm McDonald, you know what I yeah. mean? And then as time goes on, you're like, well, I don't know if he is anymore because he tells this whole story so that you learn nothing. Yeah, it was a complete waste of time. It was a complete genius, hilarious waste of time. But that's what it is. And I always think that, like, and maybe this isn't true, but I, I remember being in college watching the roast of Bob Saget and I'm with like two or three roommates, sweetmates, and you know, we're laughing at everybody. And then Norm comes up and he does his, you know, he, he punts on the material and I am dying. I think it's the funniest thing I've ever seen. My roommates and sweetmates, they're not, they're like looking at me like I'm an idiot. They're like, I'm like, no, you don't get what he's doing. And I look back and I'm like, maybe that was the moment where I was like, oh, I should be a comedian yeah. like where maybe I have the comedian's brain where I'm, I'm certainly not Norm Macdonald, but I know at least what he's doing. And I could see it. And I, I don't know. It's I've watched that since he died. I've watched it twice. And you know, yeah. that was one of those things where for a little while, like you couldn't really find it online. You had to find the one link that was there. Yeah. And but it's that's the one that and the Conan, the moth joke and yeah. the uh, chairman of the board. And yeah. those ones are the ones that I I show people. And yeah. anything I do on YouTube with Norm Macdonald is dangerous because I will lose an entire night. To YouTube. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I have a, uh, I'm not Norm, the YouTube channel. Oh, really? Just constantly, constantly updates me every day with new Norm stuff. Like, I, I can't actually even get away from it anymore, where it's like, uh, I'm still finding stuff that I've never seen before that's just like hilarious, you know? And uh, my favorite stuff was always his OJ Simpson, <laughs> all of his OJ stuff, because he was, he was in a weird position. Like, he was just in such a weird spot, like, white dude from Canada coming from out of the country, sharing his opinions on, you know, stuff that's happening here and willing to lose his job over it. You know yeah. what I mean? I thought that was admirable, especially in a time where like, you got to be gracious, but I don't know. I felt like he was telling the truth because he knew the truth. You right. know what I mean? So. Yeah. I mean, but that was Norm and he didn't give yeah. a shit. No. And I, I admire that. Yeah. Like in a lot of those jokes, like those update jokes, like, he sold them. Like I, I almost like the ones that bombed more than the ones that hit because yeah. he just looked at his face. And he was like, 
hear that? Like, like he's just pushing you. Like, come on. Like, do yeah. you get it? And, <laughs> my favorite, my favorite one of all time from him, my favorite OJ thing was the Michael or the the Charles Woodson at the Aspies. Have you seen that? I don't know. Probably. He goes, he goes up to present an Aspie, like the, you know, the ESPN, the sports awards. And it's Charles Woodson who used to play for uh Michigan. And he's the only defensive player to ever win a Heisman trophy. Yeah. And so he goes, he goes, ah, uh, Charles Woodson's here. He's the only player to ever uh, defensive player to ever win a Heisman trophy, which is something they can never take away from you, Charles, unless you kill your wife and a waiter. <laughs> and <then he> just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Oh my God, dude, he told us at the ESPYs. Like, this is so great. I need to watch that. That's one thing I, I, I think I saved that SPs thing. So I, I don't think I did see it unless it was years ago, but I was yeah. like, Oh, I got to watch this later. And I never did. It was great. It was good stuff. But he was, was he, uh, well, I know he wasn't asked to host again. No, I don't think he hosted. I think it was just him presenting. Maybe he did host. I don't remember. That was just like the clip. Okay. And then he also has like a, he hosted like the, it's like a Canadian, like a Grammys type of thing. Right. And I, I just search around and find stuff like that. Cause like, I always end up finding something new that like is actually like really funny. And I'm like, I don't know how he continues to come up with stuff, but it's always great. Let's go back to the club. Like if you could book three people, who would your dream? I mean, not on one show, but who would your dream three be to bring to Grand Rapids? Right now, um, uh, Shane Gillis would probably be, I mean, that's the easy pick, but that would probably be up there. Um, Man, I'm not honestly like the biggest comedy fan which is weird, but uh, <laughs> I like Beth Selling, and I think we'll get her out. She's um, great. Yep. I'm a big fan of her, and I think we'll get her out eventually. Hopefully we will. Um, and I think now I just, I like, I want Brian Simpson out after that Netflix drop. Have you I seen, seen it? Not yet. No, not yet. It's really good. Yep. Brian Simpson is like funny as hell. I'm just like, the only thing is like, it's hard to find that like all good alt comedy anymore outside of like Bo Burnham. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't even mean to say like all as in like, it's way out in left field. It's just like so many comics right now just seem very human, which is great, you know, but I miss like the out of the box stuff that we grew up with. You know what I mean? And so yeah. like, I, I don't really have much that I watch anymore because like I, I get bored. That's just, you know what I mean? What about a guy like, okay. And this is, you know, this shows my age, but what about a guy like Tim Allen? Does he still hit in Michigan? Yeah, just because it's Michigan. Yeah. Like, he actually grew up, like, right around this area. So, I think he would sell out. Like, I don't even think it'd be a question. John Heffron sold out out here. And, I mean, I mean, he's a funny guy. But, like, if he's going to sell out, I think I think his Michigan roots help him out here. So, yeah. I think Tim Allen would be the same kind of thing. You know what I mean? I was a huge Home Improvement fan. Then I went back and watched his 1990 special, the one that got him Home Improvement. It's okay. Like I, yeah. I just, I, I, he's way better on a TV show, I think, than on stage. And, yeah. but I, I always wonder about those guys who, you know, like, like a Dice Clay, who was huge at one point. I wonder how they still sell anything. Like, like I know His, Gallagher doesn't as much. Have you seen how much it costs to get into a Dice Clay show? No. How much is it? It's like over a hundred bucks. Still? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know how or why. And he still sells. I don't know how, but it's got like new nursery rhymes. They update them. I don't know, dude. I haven't even, I haven't even watched. I just know that he called us once trying to, 
you know, book something. And then we started doing our research and it was just, it felt high risk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause the tickets were so high, but we were looking at them and they're like, they're selling, but we're just not going to do it. Cause that feels high risk, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I booked and it was very minor, but I booked Eric Solhansky, who's rabbit from super troopers. And yeah. I couldn't sell to, I mean, I sold a few, but I still lost a lot of money. And mm. somebody, as I was trying to sell them and was failing, another producer said, Hey, do you want to get on this one? You could, if you put up money, you could help me out. I'm like, no, I was like, one, you won't even share my post. <laughs> I was like, yeah. no, I'm not going to give you a, another $1,500. I don't have, right. uh, but no, that's, that for me is, is one of the roadblocks where I'm, I would be afraid to throw down money, but like, I mean, how do you guys have the confidence to do that? I mean, is it just about the, what you've built so far and, and the track record? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie here. Like Don, the guy that kind of runs the show here, he he's, he's been doing it for like eight years. Yeah. So he's learning a new market over here, but he has more resources than I do to actually make this work. He, he, he's really good at making connections with everybody. Like he's always got a light guy. He's always got a, this, he's always got a, that that'll help help him out. Cause he's helped them out kind of thing. He's just really resourceful. Like he, he does most of that stuff, you know, and he does, he makes the, the decisions. He consults with me when he goes, Hey, do you think this comedian would work here? Why or why not? And my job essentially is to find the locals and like actually pass them up. You know what I mean? So how much confidence do you have in yourself? Like, like just book it, like you're, you're six years in and just booking other comedians. I mean, do, do you think that gives you the confidence to be a better comedian? No. <laughs> uh, I, okay. I think it actually, it waters down my like fire for like wanting to be a good comic. Cause I get, I get caught up spending my energy on these other things. The only reason I even do it is because I wanted to create a fair playing field for everybody. And then let go of it so I could operate in that same playing field and then get out of town. I have a kid up here in West Michigan. And if I didn't, I'd be living in LA or New York chasing the dream that way. You know what I mean? But uh, my son lives, you know, nearby, I go see him and he comes over here and I just can't leave him yet until he gets older and decides to go to college or whatever it is. This is where I'm at. So I'm only really here to do those things. I will say though, that the, seeing the comics come on and do well inspires me to work a little bit harder sometimes. You know what I mean? Like where I'm like, okay, well now I'm actually competing with these very people that I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. These people I'm, I'm helping get opportunities. Now I'm competing with these guys, you know, so I have to show out for myself, but like confidence wise, I've actually started to learn. There are a lot more funny people around here than I thought. Like I, before I was booking people, I was funnier than everybody in my brain. Like so much funnier than all you guys. Why are you guys getting booked? You know what I mean? I should be getting booked kind of thing. But confidence wise, I've actually learned that there are so many avenues and so many different ways to get into other people's uh, into the heads of the audience and and all this other stuff where it's like, I don't think it's helped me in that regard. I do think that I've become more confident just from having a little bit of security, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what's your goal? I mean, is the goal New York, L.A. or just, you know, uh the goal for me is to be headlining and making money off headlining. That's it. Like I want to be a headlining comic. I want to make money off it. Fame is something I'm actually kind of scared of. I don't think like, I think it can happen to anybody and I don't think anybody knows how to deal with it. Right. You know, everybody's chasing something that is, we have no understanding of, you know? So if something like that were to come, that would be cool. But I just want to be 
I just want to be a headlining comic that fills rooms up and gets to enjoy that feeling of making people laugh every weekend. That's how I am. Like, I just, I want to make money doing something in comedy. Like yeah. that's how I want to pay all my bills. Thankfully right now I'm able to do it for the time being, but like, I want to be able to have like something substantial and yeah. to say, Hey, uh, you know, when tax come around, yeah. Comedian, you know, that's, that's how it happens. And, uh, yeah. you know, I want, basically I want to get my sister to stop sending me job applications yeah. to other places. <laughs> like, no, no, have a little bit of belief in me for yeah. once. I think it's a very obscure, like hard to understand thing for people who don't do it though. You know what I mean? But I, I get that. I've had family members be like, get a real job. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. But my parents are musicians. And they're also teachers, but I'm like, you know, you're retired and a lot of your money comes from you playing and performing places. If anybody could have understood what I'm doing, it's you and you still don't give a shit. Yeah. Thanks. Like, like (laughs) I I just, I, I watch a show like Seinfeld, you know, I grew up watching that. I'm like, man, that guy's got the life, you know, he's just, he's waking up when he wants to wake up. He's writing when his friends aren't in his apartment and he's going out of town and booking shows and buying his dad a Cadillac. Like, I mean, that's, that's the dream. And yeah. I think, I think I mark success by whether or not you have to use an alarm clock. And if I never yeah. have to use another alarm clock, I've succeeded in life. Yep. That's perfect. Well, dude, this is a whole lot of fun. Uh, thank you for taking time and rearranging the schedule like three times, but uh, you, how can people follow along with you and what you're doing? You can follow me on Instagram, Chup Daddy, C-H-U-P-P-D-A-D-D-Y, um, Facebook, Justin Chup. I don't really do much else as far as like content on TikTok, but I do plan on coming out to New York probably within the next couple of months. I just got to kind of line some things up. So if you want to see what kind of shows I might be doing out that way, you can catch me on Instagram. I'll, I'll share on there. So that's awesome. dude. If you come upstate, let me know. And uh, maybe we can work something out so I can get you up here. Oh, great. That would be, that would be cool, man. Cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. Of course. Of course. Uh, But yeah, thanks again, man. And I'll talk to you in a bit. All right, cool. Thank you, Mike. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in.